0: Everybody and welcome back to Opera Off Stage. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm Michelle. And happy Fourth of July to our American listeners. If you're British, piss off. Just kidding. <laughs> it's staying in. <laughs> uh, no, we have wonderful British listeners. I so don't want to upset them. Yeah.
0: Well, and also, <laughs> like it, it does feel a little awkward sometimes to say happy fourth because like it's a it's a complicated relationship with the holiday at this point.
1: I saw this tweet that was like, imagine owning something and then it revolting against you and claiming freedom. Embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so like... Oh, gosh. You know, it do be like that sometimes.
0: My actual favorite 4th of July tweet has to do with pride. I think I sent it to our... I think I sent it to our administrative group chat. But it was, how dare street people ask when their pride day is when they know well, well and truly that Old navies <laughs> Fourth of July sale is coming up.
1: I love. There's like the same version of that tweet, but it's the, it's the Toyota like Toyotathon. Like it's <laughs> Toy- just so Toyotathon good. Toyotathon is
0: straight pride.
1: Absolutely, without a doubt.
0: <laughs> Happy Toyotathon, everyone. Um. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Because it is the week of 4th of July, we are going to talk a little bit about American opera today, and I don't know, kind of about the public perception of American opera, because it holds a very weird place in the larger opera canon.
1: Yeah, I feel like American opera is just like the awkward cousin that nobody kind of likes, but like they always have to be invited anyways, you know, that's the vibe. (laughs) Yeah, so we're gonna talk about
0: the redheaded stepchild of the opera world. <laughs> wow! But before we jump into that,
1: why are we in such a like roast mood right now? What is happening? <laughs> we're <to> like <laughs> Happy
0: America Day. Let's talk about how
1: America has fallen short.
0: Before we jump into that, we have actually a couple of announcements. So first up, we finally have a game night coming up. Woohoo! Saturday, July seventeenth at five p.m. Pacific, eight p.m. Eastern. You can join us on Discord, and we're going to play some games and share memes, maybe watch some funny videos, chat. It's a really good time, and it's open to everyone. And if you're afraid of, like, the games we play, they are 100% party games. They are really easy to learn the rules of, and we make sure everyone knows what they're doing when they play. And it is all in good fun. So we would love for you to join us on our Discord, which you can get to through our bio on Instagram.
1: Yeah, man. I have been itching to return to game nights. They are so stinking fun. Uh, we have like a usual crowd that pops in and then we have, um, you know, new people from our community who join for everyone. And it's just so much fun to talk to you guys. Uh, the trivia games like aren't really related to music. So you don't even have to be worried or like studying for them. It's just a super great way to interact with other young artists and other people in our community. It's such a good time. I'm so hyped. Three... Months
0: ago, I made a custom version of one of these games for us to play, and we have not gotten to do it.
1: And I have been yeah, crushed. Jesse's very salty. <laughs> I was so proud of it. It haunts Jesse at night. I know you were. so I proud was of up it. at I like two wait. in
0: the morning doing it because I was just like, "This will be so fun." And then we ended up like not having enough people to really play that game. <sighs> Next time soon July 17th baby we are also bringing back our opera watch party so stay tuned for more information about that on our Instagram
1: yeah if you guys aren't already following us you can find us at opera offstage I would say that Instagram is our main hub besides our website but you can also interact with us on Facebook Twitter TikTok YouTube we're all over the place so if it's a social media platform we're probably on it so don't be afraid to uh DM us and say hi yeah, I've been excited because we've gotten a lot of new DMs from people in our community that we haven't heard from before asking us questions and just saying hi. And that stuff, y'all, makes our day. So please send us a DM, even if you're just like, sup, guys, you told me to send you a DM. So here I am. And we'll love you forever and ever. <laughs> Making big promises today. <laughs> so as Jesse we will not in. love you, but I Michelle <laughs> will. It's basically the way that this goes. I have no comments.
0: Um, so let's talk a little bit about American operas and starting off with, for you personally, Michelle, like what are some American operas that you like that you've seen?
1: I would have to say that my favorite American opera is probably, um, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, (laughs) Um, you're the worst.
0: (laughs) Wow. Um, I would like to announce today that I will be the only host from here on forward. Michelle has actually been
1: removed. (laughs) she has been kicked out um, Andrew Lloyd Webber of America (laughs) the greatest American writer apparently uh you know second to Phantom of the Opera I would say one of my all-time faves and I've said this on the podcast before is definitely Floyd's Susanna it's just the music (laughs) is baller Talk about a soprano dream role, but also talk about like having to be freaking 45 before you can even touch that music and attempt to sing over that orchestra. I'm still so mad that you just made a joke about an opera that is not only not an opera, but is also British. <laughs> That's <laughs> why I had to say it. <laughs> Jesse, not even listening to me still stuck on Phantom. <laughs> no, I uh, know oh, we're talking about Susanna. Susanna. It's Susanna. God, I hate when I do this. It's just fear. Susanna, first of all, Susanna gives me the actual chills. Like it's super creepy, but like you can't look away and like you feel horrible for Susanna and you're totally rooting for her and then she's like a total badass at the end. And like it's just got it all. The music is beautiful, the orchestration is beautiful. I just it's a ten out of ten for me. Susanna
0: too is like steeped in Americana like the story takes place in Tennessee it's dealing with a lot of religious trauma a lot of the ensemble numbers are built on like hymns oh yeah so it is it is both an American opera but it is like also steeped in like American tradition and American like issues no it's it's an amazing opera and I will say like Ain't It a Pretty Night is one of the few arias that can like consistently make me tear up
1: oh it's so good it's so so good So that's definitely one of my faves. I know it's not, like, the most amazing opera. I love it. I think it's, like, one of the most
0: emotionally moving operas. Like, there are operas I enjoy because, like, it's fun to watch people perform that kind of music, but Susanna is, like, one of the few operas that emotionally moves me.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Another fave of mine is Dead Man Walking. Oh, so good. That one's really heavy. I can't watch that one too often, but once again, the music, stunning. The story is very very moving the characters are just ugh. everything about it is a 10 out of 10 for me you know that's a true story right yeah yeah
0: she's a real person the nun in that story yeah. she wrote a book about it that's what it's yes. based on yes
1: so i guess maybe i shouldn't refer to her as a character considering she's a, real person, <laughs> she's still, a human you know being I mean. who's still alive <laughs> you know what i mean other other faves are uh you know i really like trouble in tahiti the music in that one is lit. i do not know I saw a great production of it at the BLO in Boston. They set up stages in places that aren't theaters. So I saw that in an ice rink. Oh. And just the way that they did it was super fun. Opera on
0: ice sounds hilarious. What? I said opera on ice sounds hilarious. I know you're saying it's on a skating rink, not that they were skating. Right, yes, <laughs> but it does. Like in my mind, the idea of like putting opera singers on ice skates is just the funniest thing I can think about.
1: Yeah, and it was cool because instead of like um, traditional theater seats, it was like uh, dinner tables. Oh, and so you were sitting at tables watching. I love it was that. very and like the costumes, everything. It was a total ten out of ten dinner theater. Yeah, so I really, really enjoy that one. And the the little like quartet that sings, like I just I really enjoy that one. I will say though, Trouble in Tahiti does sound like like a Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a what a great what a great name. Jesse, I think this was also kind of on your list, but Afterlife by Tom Chapulo yes. is also a 10 out of 10 for me. This is one of those operas.
0: Like there's a tendency in a lo- some new operas to really pare down how many characters you have in a show, and I think this is like a show that does that in one of the most effective ways possible. Yeah. I would totally agree. And it's just like, it's such powerhouse characters of like Pablo Picasso and Gertrude Stein. And it's, I don't know, it, I love the way he wrote them. That's one that like you can't really say much about without, you should go and listen to it. I'll leave it at that.
1: Yes, that is a, that's a good one. I also just really enjoy Tom Cipullo in general. Oh yeah, um, his works are really, really good. I think he's a really, really smart opera composer, and I think his storytelling is excellent. I will say his compositions are hard; those are difficult pieces, especially his operas. But I think that if you were a new music, an American opera lover or aficionado, you should definitely check out Afterlife if you haven't already. Mezzo soprano, baritone, soprano, three roles. And then last little shout out on my list is Fellow Travelers by Gregory Spears. I think that's on a lot of people's lists. I mean, that opera is just, once again, 10 out of 10 for me.
0: Yeah. Once again, that's
1: actually about a very specific period in American history. Yeah. Gregory Spears is also pretty... I was going to say young. I thought he was in his 30s. He's 44. I don't really know that much about Gregory Spears. I need to do more research. But um, he's also a good looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a shout out in case you haven't ever looked at this man.
0: Yep. That's how we're uh, grading these actually. All looks. So I, I thousand percent obviously agree with you on pretty much all of those. A couple more that I like, I would like to mention Moby Dick. Moby Dick was one of those operas that when I, when somebody told me to go and see it with them, I very much doubted them because I was like, it's a 900 page book about whaling. (laughs) So I was like, I can't think of anything that would be almost worse to put into an opera. But it's actually brilliant. And the huge male choruses and the set that they've been using for the past couple years. It's beautiful. And they really did a great job of distilling it down to its essential elements and making it dramatic. It's so good. It's so, so good. I would take people to that opera gladly. I would even take people to that as their first opera. Well and truly. Which is about the highest compliment I can
1: give. And that's on... And I forgot to say... (laughs) And that's on Jake Heggie, baby.
0: Yeah, Jake Hagee really is a great composer. And then another one that we actually did for one of our watch parties is As One, which is the story of a trans woman's transition. I think it's an it's another one of those that, once again, they've really simplified how many people they have on stage, but it is incredibly effective and moving. And we mentioned the, just the other week that our friend Tona Brown is going to be in that show this year, which is very exciting. But that is, that was another one of those shows where listening to it, I thought everything lent itself to the story so well. And it was so incredibly important.
1: You know? Yeah, I really quite enjoyed it. I thought the libretto was great. The music is very easy to digest. I thought that the staging... I can't remember exactly which production we saw. But, you know, it's like a two-person opera. And one of my favorite parts is that the conductor, like, very briefly plays a role. Oh, yeah. And something about that, like, really just gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's just really, really, really powerful.
0: Yeah. And I... I wrote on, I wrote out, I was so angry about one opera. So this is not in my list of my favorite American operas, but this was, we watched as another watch party, Dr. Atomic, and it started so strong and then it went absolutely nowhere. And I was so mad because it's such an interesting story to tell about the Manhattan Project, about this man's relationship with these people around him and everything, but they just got so stuck. By the second act that the story just went nowhere.
1: Yeah, Dr. Atomic is one of those that had that really had us in the first half, like act one. It was it set itself up so well, so strong. I think it had the potential to be way more of a classic than it ended up being. I actually would have to look and do some research on which was more successful, Dr. Atomic or Nixon in China. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's still a great opera, but it's kind of like it drags on and it doesn't wrap up in the way that you would hope the second half
0: of the opera is him having the same conversation like eight times and it doesn't resolve itself it doesn't have him actually making any choices and so it just doesn't go anywhere and i also think it's a big mistake to end on the bomb exploding i think kind of that honestly should have been the end of the first act yeah that's a good point i think that's part of the reason we got so stuck is like you're all leading up to something where the reaction to it would have been much more powerful than
1: ending with the bomb sure yeah, that's a good point. I know, because I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I actually I want to rewatch that. <laughs> oh my, okay. <laughs> um, all right, settle down, Scorpio. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's one that I would actually would really like to watch again. Because yeah. I for that watch party, I was in and out of the the second half, so I feel like I had an even more disjunct view of it. But um, I think we should rewatch that one and give live commentary. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I mean, I thought that the overall, like, the arias in that and the music in it is great. I mean, compositionally, it's it's pretty great. I think the storytelling and plot could have been better.
0: Yeah, that was just one of those where it almost achieved greatness in that, like, like I said, it's such a uniquely interesting story to talk about, but they just kind of got, they didn't know what they really wanted to say, and therefore it didn't go anywhere. You can't just say bomb bad. <laughs> That's not enough. I wonder how often that one's performed. I feel like it gets
1: popped out there every once in a while because they're like, you want some modern opera? Doesn't everyone like John Adams? I feel like I see Nixon in China in programs more often than Dr. Atomic. I feel like really the biggest time I've ever seen Dr. Atomic was just the Met production. Yeah. I haven't seen it too often since then, but
0: Well, I also is like a massive undertaking set-wise, so I don't know how often they really want to go into it.
1: Yeah, there's an unnecessary amount of men in that show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: welcome to our next episode why do so many operas have an unnecessary amount of men which would honestly be rude of me to say like the thing that breaks my heart all the time is that i love jake Heggie's operas but they are almost exclusively men too many men there's like where, where are you supposed to woman. get all
1: these men where, do these <laughs> where men are all come these from? men coming from how are you supposed to source that many men <laughs> Don't they know we have, like, a shortage of men in opera? Like, where, where are we expecting to get this ginormous cast of men?
0: But now let's talk a little bit more generally about American opera and why American opera really doesn't get the same kind of recognition as other operas. Because I think most people would agree, like, if you look at seasons, if you look at seasons in other countries outside of america you don't see american operas getting put on very often at all and the one opera they do tend to try and do is porgy and bess which is problematic with how white so many of these countries are there is a wild story if you haven't seen it about one country which tried to claim that their very, very white opera singers had African ancestry in order to get around the clause that the people playing those roles do actually have to be black. D- wild. Absolutely wild. But all that is to say that American opera doesn't see a lot of playtime in other countries. Yeah.
1: So why do people hate American opera so much, Jesse? Why,
0: why do you hate us? <laughs> I think number one is like, is the fact that American opera does lack some of the tradition and history that a lot of Italian and German and even English opera has. You know, they can date it back centuries. Most of even now, like, the most popular American operas are within the last hundred years.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we had prolific works in opera in Italy and France... You know, hundreds of years before the U.S. was even a country. Before we even came on the block. You have
0: to remember that, like, Italian opera dominated for a very long time. Even before German and, like, vernacular opera became popular. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, number one is that it doesn't necessarily have the same pull as a lot of traditional opera. Because it is modern. By its nature, American opera tends to be more modern. And modern operas, even in countries that love opera don't really get as much playtime as, as other ones. Another big part of that too is that like we talked about with Susanna and Dead Man Walking and fellow travelers and Dr. Atomic, a lot of American opera has to do with American issues and American history. Like very specific things that may not translate well. And may not even translate well to other Americans who don't know that history. A lot of people don't know about the McCarthy era, which is what Fellow Travelers is about. And if you're not Southern, Susanna might have a very weird feel to you. Probably not, considering how many films fill that same era, but you never know. And they and because of that too, I think sometimes that American operas lack some of the grandeur of some other operas, you know?
1: Yeah, American opera is filled with political and social matters. And aside from political and social operas, I mean, a lot of them focus on kind of the day-to-day American experience or American stories. So it makes sense as to why a lot of these operas perhaps, you know, have European premieres, but aren't necessarily going to be on every, you know, opera house's uh, 2021-2022 season. Yeah,
0: but I mean, even... I guess the other thing, too, is that when you look at the story structure of some of these, there is, like, when you're not basing them out of some of these larger mythologies that a lot of operas are based on, sometimes you lose that also sense of grander storytelling. You know, the love stories in these are a little more complex, a little more nuanced. Yeah. And they carry a lot more weight than, like, say, the humorous nonsense of a Mozart comedy. <laughs> And I think that's it's a little more difficult to pull off, like uh like Vanessa, which we also did a watch party of, like I think that love story is I mean or lack thereof, is harder to watch,
1: yeah, and speaking of American, to be totally honest, English isn't necessarily the most quote unquote beautiful language, at least in my opinion. It's a very matter of fact language. It's not going to be competing with French or Spanish anytime soon, or Italian. Some of those I would agree with and some of them I would disagree with. Because first of all, I love singing in
0: German. I think a lot of German pieces are absolutely gorgeous. And like, I think the percussive nature of certain pieces of languages are beautiful. So I don't know. Like, I would say English gets a, I think English gets a worse rep, a worse rap on all of that. Because uh, it's no fun singing high in the nasals of French and the gutturals of Russian. (laughs) Like there are plenty of pieces of other languages that aren't as pretty. And it's kind of funny that we say like English isn't the most beautiful language, but a large majority of like music, some music that's even made in other countries is written and sung in English. Yeah. And that's not to say no one sings in their own language. Of course people do. I'm just saying that like a lot of the music industry is dominated by English as the main language that's sung. So this idea that it sounds bad in opera, but not bad in pop music is always a little funny to me. a good point right though it's like a weird thing to like draw a line on and i understand why people feel that way because like there is i remember the first time i sang in english like in a classical style and i was like why is this so hard but i i don't necessarily know that that's true versus perception but i think i think you know going into perception i think perception plays a huge role in why american theater doesn't get as much american opera doesn't get as much time in european theaters because i think europeans are very much entrenched to their own art which is understandable. Like, there's a sense of nationalism around it, but there's also this idea that like Americans couldn't make anything that good. Oh yeah, and I promise this is not just me making things up. Like these, this is things I have I have heard from directors and people before about American singers
1: and about American librettos. I'm sorry. Are you speaking about frickin' Rudolph Bing? <laughs> like, oh God, just. Not allowing American singers to sing at the Met forever? Like, come on. This is everywhere.
0: Well, and there's the, there's this hilarious thing. While we were doing some of the research for this episode, I was reading a New York Times article about it. and was talking about how the Met didn't perform pieces in English for such a long time. And even then, there was once a time where Italian was so popular that they were performing all of Wagner in Italian, which is wild to think about, that you would change the language but not to the one the people in your state spoke. Yeah. Anyway, that's how much that's, but that is how much people didn't like English as a language for opera was that America, even though the tradition of opera is that you would change it to the vernacular of the people who were going to come see it so that they could understand the language. It was so unpopular that they would change it to German or Italian instead. We
1: love to see it. Yeah, the perception is definitely not that great. I will also say that because American operas, you know, by default are a little bit more modern because they've been written in the last like Hundred years plus, a lot of new music uh, and a lot of new American operas have the new music vibes, and a lot of it is pretty difficult. And so I think that you know to put on Afterlife by Tom Chapulo takes a completely different mindset and a completely potentially completely different type of musician than the people that you're bringing in to be you know superior at a Mozart opera. Yeah, it's just. different skill set and it's I mean that gets into our whole talk about just the lack of new music in general but a lot of American opera is definitely much more rhythmic can be much more atonal or have interesting tonality you know the stories tend to be a little bit more gritty and so all of it kind of together is can be very like anti-classic European opera
0: yeah well I think that's just part of it too is like classic operas just don't sell in the same way in America, like doing like highly traditional showings of, of productions don't always work here. Like it doesn't draw in people in the same way it might draw in people in other theaters. It's just mm-hmm. that it doesn't hold the same kind of value. Well, I actually want to go back to the whole English language thing, which is like, why are people always so upset about English librettos? And this was actually something that talked about a bit when we did that watch party with Vanessa, because our friend Dr. Mike McAndrews. He did his entire thesis on Vanessa, and part of that was, too, about how people didn't really like the libretto. But when we were listening to it, it had a lot of wordplay, and it had a lot of interesting ways of teasing out what was going to happen. And I thought it was kind of brilliant. But I think there is a reality that, like, there is a glamorization of foreign languages. It's like how when people put tattoos on their body, they'll often get them in other languages, even though it's not a language they speak. Yeah. I say, even though that's exactly what one of my tattoos is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> These other people who do this Roasting myself,
0: my absolutely. <laughs> but but no, it's like it's like how people think French accents are really sexy. Like even if they're not saying anything of substance. That's just the reality is like there's something N- interesting and about a, uh, about a foreign language or a foreign accent even if you actually translate the words and they're not that good it reminds me of when we did cozy fantute and it, like the little wedding blessing that's like may you proliferate like chickens mhm like that's not romantic <laughs> that's a weird line and it's not uh... better just because you say it in italian
1: yeah
0: yeah so i think part of it too is just like the romantic idea of things it's like how people feel about Paris until you get to Paris and Paris is beautiful but Paris is also a nasty city it is it's a big it's a big city full of all the things that normal cities are filled with like filth (laughs) within the first 10 seconds I spent in Paris I saw someone pissing on a wall that's all I'm saying
1: (laughs) we definitely especially as Americans glamorize you know foreign languages and It's exotic and sexy and cool and different from, uh, you know, our native languages. Even if your, you know, first language is in English. There's a grandeur to it. Many people. Yeah. Also, though, and rightfully kind of so, diphthongs are freaking ugly. And we have so many diphthongs in English. That's true. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, the inconsistencies with, like, pronunciation are wild. Yeah. I don't I don't think anybody's going to argue that the amount of diphthongs we have in, in the English language are just kind of a little much, but it comes down to taste. I would agree, agree with you that I don't think that English is not a nice or beautiful language. I just think comparatively, it tends to be lower in most people's minds, um, especially when it relates to opera. I think
0: that too has to, a lot to do with history. Like people don't say that about the operas that are based off of Shakespeare. That's true. So I think there is also this, like, idea of, like, the value and the historical value of certain things. And because a lot of American operas are obviously more modern, a lot of them use vulgarity and slang because that is the vernacular here. And I think that's distasteful for some people, whereas other people find it expressive. Mm -hmm. I I think that leads us to another important question, which is larger than, like, why has the world at large not really taken in American opera? Why hasn't America taken in opera? like opera in general. Why didn't America ever, like why does America not still have the kind of taste for opera that a lot of Europe does? Which is funny because we mentioned earlier that America dominates a lot of industries in entertainment, the music industry, the film industry, like there's a lot of America all over the place. Uh, Musicals, even musical theater, you see a ton of America everywhere. So why is it so hard for American
1: opera to be valued not only by the world, but by America? I would say because live music is expensive and to be totally honest, America in general doesn't really value artists or art forms that aren't profitable. Oof. (laughs) Because it's easy to make, it's easy to formulate a pop star and turn them into a money-making machine that sells out the Hollywood Bowl. It's harder to get that same sort of reaction from classical music, especially when you have like a whole orchestra and soloists and stage productions like we just don't necessarily as a society tend to love to put money into it because there's not a huge return in investment
0: well yeah but also actually i'm gonna break into that just a little bit (laughs) why is it easier to get someone to see i'm not going to name names here and i'm not trying to be rude to these people you make your money however you want to why is it easier to get people to go see a tiktok star who may never have sung in their life prior to getting a record deal because they have a following already, than it is to get someone to go see a world-renowned opera singer.
1: Technology.
0: Technology, yes. First of all, an incredibly well done use of technology. But also, I think communication with your audience and representation of the people you want to come see. Part of the reason that kids love TikTok stars so much is that they're their age. Like they are young and they are like them. And they're also communicating with them directly in a way that opera doesn't communicate with people outside of the industry at all, most of the time. And that's part of the reason with that America has such an issue with like traditional operas, because these traditional operas don't really speak to people in the same way. In the same way that I said, Susanna is one of the few operas that emotionally moves me, and it's partially because I grew up in Tennessee. Like, there's a connection there that means something to me.
1: Yeah, it's true. Opera singers and uh, classical musicians definitely have a difficult relationship with technology.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the other thing about technology is like it's not accessible to a lot of people. Everyone can get on TikTok and watch something. So many things you can go and just watch the full thing of on YouTube. Opera and especially American operas, the only way we could see Susanna was Susanna. Gosh, darn it. The only way we could see Susanna was because San Francisco Opera was broadcasting it. Yes. Ah,
1: that's like one of the things I totally, I completely understand having to, you know, keep things a little bit more under wraps so that, you know, these living composers and living librettists have the opportunity to make money (laughs) during their lifetime. But it is so frustrating when you read about some new production, like Fellow Travelers, for example, where can you see it? Literally nowhere unless you go and see it in person, which, yes, in a perfect world, all of us are supporting live music and are able to travel to see these new productions of operas but like that's not everybody's reality and it's silly to think that that's everybody's reality and like oh it bugs me it's even so like difficult to get your like a sneak peek at these modern scores unless your school is doing it or unless you're doing it in a summer program and it's just like not accessible at all even
0: even then it's not even just filmed versions though like i can't you can't pull a good recording of moby dick at all unless you have like the dvd from san francisco like there's just there's nothing And this is a problem not just with opera in America. This is a problem across classical music is not having good recordings of things. Like, I don't know how many of you have tried to find even like a a minorly obscure score or a minorly like less recorded piece. But sometimes the audio quality itself is just straight garbage. Regardless, I, yeah, it drives me insane because I really, the people who would watch it on DVD versus the people who would go see it in person. Like, I I really don't think you're losing people by allowing them to watch it in the comfort of their own home. I don't think anybody who's that interested in watching it and sitting down for three hours to watch one of these shows is any less likely to go and see them in person. But it's just inaccessible. It's like how with it's like how with musical theater, there's like a billion pirated versions on YouTube under wild names because that's how a lot of people access it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely And it's just, it's maddening. I mean, one of the best things to come out of COVID was that, you know, I think a lot of these productions are obviously filmed and, you know, places like the Met and maybe even like San Francisco Opera do a great job of recording their performances. But so much of it just goes into the archives and isn't brought out i mean even the met still has so many more modern productions from like the 2010s that are only audio recordings with great casts and you're like well i would have loved to have been able to watch it but you know i mean we only saw the san francisco opera production of Susanna because they decided to pull it out of the archives yeah like all of this stuff is just sitting drives me crazy drives me
0: absolutely (laughs) up the wall but also like i think too that the history of opera in america bears like a little bit of the weight of this because the thing is is that the what I would like to tell you is that the Met has screwed us over again (laughs) Uh, but a lot of shows that came early on to the Met weren't performed in English and it was at a time when the Met was doing their productions this was also a time in the world when people had kind of stopped translating their operas into the vernacular of the region it was a time where people had stopped doing that as much Not by a lot of time, but a lot of them had started to just do Don Giovanni in Italian (laughs) instead of translating into whatever language the region was in. The U.S. took that to a whole nother level. And there's a great New York Times article from the 1990s that covers this. I'm going to read a little section of it. But America's singular resistance to accepting opera in a tongue that the audience actually comprehends may help explain why, compared to Europe, our world of opera is a department of music and not of theater, why the United States has produced more opera singers than singing actors, and why the Metropolitan Opera refuses to project English supertitles over its proscenium. Obviously, the Met does have the little subtitles on the back of the seats now. But it's interesting to think about this and how it has affected opera singers in America and opera in America, because I think ultimately the fact that you couldn't really go to these shows unless you knew the language gave opera a really bad start to begin with in America because who wants to go watch something you can't understand you know how much I wouldn't have gotten into anime if I didn't have subtitles
1: yeah well it's also like so many outreach programs do things in English and it's like ooh, why is that it's like duh because people can understand it yeah
0: we once did um we did St. John Passion with Pepperdine and we did it in English that's what most people would understand. And I don't think it was the worst for it. Yeah. I mean. Like that was the tradition in opera for a very long time was that you would translate it. Like that was the norm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, regardless of how you feel about translating opera at the end of the day, new music is once again a solution. Yeah. (laughs) Because some people like really are going to just fight you on the idea of translating Bohem or Mozart. And that's fine. But it definitely is a contributor as to why, you know, it's hard for audiences to get into opera.
0: Opera had a bad start. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then on top of that, like, another thing, like, we talked about already a little bit, that, like, people aren't really reflected in opera in the same way. Because opera that is born out of, like, these legends and traditions in german and italian and all of these older stories like there's a cultural connection that doesn't exist in america like these aren't the stories we tell and that's the thing it's like a lot of people here don't grow up listening to classical music it's not as accessible to them they don't go to the opera that's not a field trip that people do where you might do a lot more of that if you were growing up in a european country because it's just around you more and it's just that you don't learn from a young age and a lot of our taste is developed when we're young by what our parents listen to by what like the people around us listen to and like, like it's
1: a part of it. Yeah, I think that's why, uh, you know, regieteater is such a thing in in Germany and and Europe in general. Is because like if you are born in Italy, you've probably seen Barber of Seville. So are you going to go see the same classic production in the period costumes that you've probably seen 50 million times? Or are you going to go see a whacked out production because it's different and fun and you already know the storyline and music so well that like you're not missing any of the plot. Like it's just totally different.
0: Yeah. Where, where American theater makes things weird in order to try and help the audience connect to
1: the story, Germany gets weird because people already know the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And the other thing is that, you know, there just aren't as many opera houses across the U.S. And, you know, opera isn't government funded like in Germany and other places in Europe. So it's just it's expensive to put on. It's difficult, especially when you're sourcing from communities and donors, which obviously then, you know, of course, influences what you can put and program into a season.
0: I mean, luckily for us, there are a lot of really great groups who are doing the most that they can in order to continue to promote American operas. There's the American Opera Initiative by the Washington National Opera, and the Kennedy Center. There's the American Opera Project, who do some really amazing shows. That's where we watched as one. And there is even Victory Hall Opera, who's going to be putting on Fat Pig later this year. Like, there are plenty of groups doing the kind of work that really does connect communities with American opera. And I think there's a lot of value in American opera. I think, like I said... A lot of people have their first experience actually being moved emotionally and connected to an opera when you hear an opera in your own language and not just, not just the Tenderland. Dear God. Please, not just the (laughs) Tenderland.
1: I swear.
0: But that's the thing is like, there's something very special about something in your own language. And I think that as we push forward with this idea of new music and new opera It's important that we stop being so pretentious and that we start embracing the real beauty of opera in the vernacular and even translating operas to make them accessible to people. Like, I think that's the spirit of it. And that's how we transform modern and American opera into something that people can understand the value of amen yeah and you know there's uh, something (laughs) to be said a lot of the last couple episodes of our stuff have been very america centric partially because we've been talking about once again very american issues but if you have something about the way where you live approaches opera that you want to share with us i would love to hear it because the thing is like we're not really qualified to speak on experiences of opera in a lot of other places because we simply don't know But if you have something to share about the culture of opera, wherever you are, please write to us. You can reach us on our website, which is opera-offstage.com or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, where we're at Opera Offstage. You can come into the Discord for a larger discussion. I'll probably be asking about it a little bit today and like what people's experiences with opera were growing up all around the world. But I would love to hear from you guys. So please, please reach out to us and talk to us. We're always happy to listen. And we're always happy to take on topics that are beyond just the American experience of opera.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm super, super curious to know what your guys' experience, experiences are. Definitely send us a DM. Let us know what your favorite uh, American opera is or just English language opera. because I'm super curious to know if there are any other really awesome works that we just maybe haven't had pop up on our radar yet. So definitely send us a DM and share your favorite operas with us. And on that note, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.